Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Technology and Sports, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the sports status quo with technology that changes how the games are played, managed, and enjoyed. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Game Changing Technology and Sports Radio. I have such a hot topic for you. You're not going to even know what hit you. I'm going to tell, I don't usually give the topic at the top, but I have to. Content crazed sports fans benefit from technology, whether they know it or not. And you, our esteemed listeners all over the world, are probably among those fans. So we just want to know where you want, you know, we're addressing the whole concept of how is technology impacting your ability to enjoy the game, whatever sport you're watching. So now let me do my formal opening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run, where the best play, where the best do everything they need to do, especially in sports. I have a quote from a writer named Josh Stanley. Uh, he was quoted in Forbes.com. I guess he has a blog there. Let me read this and this will set us up nicely for our topic. He says, the common wisdom about marketing is that people are busier than ever, have shorter attention spans, you know who you are, and are riddled with ADD, and you know who you are. Therefore, the only kind of marketing that can be can work must be concise, clear, and get its message across in 0.5 seconds or less. That's the wisdom. And he says, nonsense. Enter long-form content marketing. So this is a show about sports. Let's relate it to our topic. Gone are the days of you, the fans, having to wait for the newspaper. And the young millennials might say, what's a newspaper? To read yesterday's box scores for your favorite teams and your favorite sports. Technology has turned the sports world upside down, on the field and behind the scenes. With the rise of the second screen, and we'll talk about that with our panelists, teams can engage fans during the game in ways that seemed unimaginable, impossible, incredible, far off just a few years ago. But that's the easy part. There's a challenge for the teams, and this goes back to what I was saying. How do they learn who you are? How do they learn what motivates you? How do they provide you with the best experience possible, the best fan experience, all while helping you live in the moment of the big game? And that's a lot to figure out. So we have two panelists today. We were expecting three, but one has an illness in the family. I'll mention who it is in a moment. We have two young men. I'm allowed to say that. They're both in the millennial cohort age-wise. One is Taryn Chata at Momentum Worldwide and his colleague Matt Bellinger at Momentum Worldwide. The panelist who's not joining us, unfortunately, is Ryan Summers at SAP, who is the sponsor of this wonderful series. And Ryan, we're sending love and get well wishes to you and your family. Ryan's fine, but a family member is sick. So Ryan, we'll miss you, but we will carry on without you somehow. So let's go around the table. It's a small table today. Taryn Chata, welcome to Game Changers Radio. Please introduce yourself. I know you have a, an incredible bio. Introduce yourself to our listeners so they know who you are and what you do. Taryn? Hi, Bonnie. Yes, uh, so I am uh, a creative director. Uh, I've worked on everything from comic books to video games, TV shows, uh, advertisements, uh, the whole board. Um, and people, most people know me for, a, for inventing a device um, that does blood donations, but it's connected to a video game. So while you're playing the video game and you get hit in it, you intravenously get pulled blood from you. Uh, every time you get shot. Um, I've had my work featured in Time, Vice, and lots of other press. 
Wow. How, how did you do that, Tara? We can't just say, wow, that's wonderful. How did you get started as an inventor? Was this the marketing mind that said we can apply this to a real need, a life-saving need? How did you get into this? So the, the, blood, um, the blood invention uh, was something that I actually came up with on the side with a friend, and we thought, okay, well, there's a really apathetic demographic with gamers who are not donating blood. 72% of them have never, ever donated blood, so we're like, how do we actually tap into that market but make it fun? Um, so it kind of just connected from there, and we just built it ourselves first, and then eventually partnered with um, the Spanish Blood Bank, and then with Ogilvy, uh, an ad agency in Spain, to bring it all together. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. I also have here that you took on bankers during the recession without getting uh, too political. What was that all about? <laughs> uh, so back in 2008, when the recession happened, I created a site called shootthebanker.com, and it allowed you to control <laughs> an actual robotic paintball gun. So you could log onto the site, control a robotic paintball gun, and shoot a banker who was actually played by an actor inside a staged office that we built. Um, and at the site, it would kind of give you information both about what the bankers had done, but also it was just a fun way for you to take out your sort of re recession revenge. Is, is that like a whack-a-mole type of thing? Do they pop up again, or do they really get taken out, Taryn? I'm afraid to ask, but I just did. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, I guess you could think of it as like a, a live digital whack-a-mole. So we, we kind of call it reality mm -hmm. video games where you're shooting someone, but you're doing it over the Internet. So streaming from anywhere in the world, you're actually hitting someone with real paintballs in this set that we built from anywhere in the world. You have quite an imagination and a lot of creativity. <laughs> I want to know what you eat for breakfast, but one more question. Your bio <laughs> says you created the first reality video game. What was it? How did you do it? So off of creating just a simple single paintball gun uh, that was controlled through robotics for Shoot the Banker, uh, we were actually approached by investors who were interested in what we had done. And they said, could you do this bigger? Could you actually make this a full game? So we went to California um, joined forces with a tech company and created Prank House, which was a fully immersive reality video game. You could control multiple things. It was built in a warehouse. There was uh, robotic, um, robotic um, remote-controlled cars, paintball guns, all sorts of contraptions, YouTube celebrities. It was kind of a whole mismatch of things as you'd play. Very, very exciting. And you say here in your bio, your work has spread globally with zero paid media. Is this the benefit of being in on social media, of knowing how to use all of the social platforms, Taryn, and to reach target audiences? Or did your work just automatically gain such traction like a, a snowball going down a hill in Central Park in New York and just getting bigger and bigger all on its own? How did you do that? It's a little bit of a mix, but I think when you, when the idea feels new and fresh and people haven't heard it before, so when you hear about a video game that draws blood, you want to click on that and you want to talk about that with your friends. So I think it's just kind of being first to it, really, and the Internet will do the rest. Very impressive. We, I'm so glad you're on the show today. We have so much to talk to you about. Let's go to your colleague, Matt Bellinger. Matt, please introduce yourself. Oh, hi, Bonnie. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Matt Bellinger. I work as a director of strategy at Momentum Worldwide. 
um, also with Taryn. Um, so I focus uh, kind of in my piece on really developing um, and understanding data-driven uh, strategies. So taking a look at our audiences, um, really understanding what, what makes people tick, their passions, um, all that kind of great stuff. Um, and then we kind of take that, we plan um, you know, digital, social communications, uh, and all that. Um, and I really have a great opportunity to work across a lot of great and exciting sports and entertainment properties, um, which is really fun um, from a, on a daily basis. And uh, I also moonlight um, as a music producer kind of in the evening time, so I get to kind of help plan content um, during the day, and then I get to kind of make it on my own at night. So definitely have, I'm very lucky these days. You're not only very lucky, you're very smart and very motivated. I have a question for you first, Matt, and then Taryn. I don't usually ask this question so early in the show, but I'm fascinated by what both of you do. What do you have for breakfast that gives you this energy and this joy of creation and innovation? Uh, Matt, first, what, what, is there something in the water you're drinking? I know you're both in New York. How, how do you get this, this spark of creativity? Very impressive. Matt? Um. <laughs> Oh, man, I wish I could say something good. I do not eat anything for breakfast. I usually starve for the whole day. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, usually maybe like a bagel, got a very classic New York moment uh, in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, nothing too exciting. <laughs> okay, what kind of bagel? I'm from New York too, dear, so you got to say, everything is it an everything? Bagel. Ah, I said it. I said it at the same time you yeah. did. Is there anything better than that? Seriously? Right? Maybe you and put it, like a little lox on it, salt and pepper, oil, something like that. Make it a little bit more interesting sometimes if you've got the time, you know. <laughs> okay. So is it is it the real salty belly lox or is it the other lox, the Nova? Nova Scotia. The Nova uh, the lox. Nova, the, the, nice, the nice, the bougie lox. That's the nice <laughs> <laughs> Touche. And everybody knows that good bagels is because of the water in New York. Yes, it is. Good water, no matter what people say. Taryn, do you sleep? And what, what powers you, for goodness sake? <laughs> to be honest, it's, uh, and not to make a pun of it, but it's sort of feeding on other people's work that inspires me. There's just so much great stuff out there. So it's, when I see something like a movie like Parasite uh, that just came out by Boong Jong-ho or, um, or uh, multiple things that are online, uh, new inventions, it just it makes me want to compete with them. Sometimes it almost makes me angry because I wish I had done it. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the next thing then if I didn't do that one. Very, very interesting. Do you, both of you, do you love what you do? Seriously? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought so. Yeah. Absolutely fascinated. I'm so happy that you were invited on the panel today. Uh, This is the part of the show where you have each sent me an opening quote, and I'm going to read the quote and then ask you to relate it to our topic. So, Taryn Chada at Momentum Worldwide. And before I do this, tell me, Taryn, what is Momentum Worldwide for anybody who doesn't know? And I know your handle on Twitter is MomentumWW because I'm tweeting your bio right now. What what does this organization, this agency do, and how long have you been with them? So I am celebrating one year, actually, just this week officially uh, with Momentum. And they are a global agency that does uh, – I mean, they're known as an experiential agency. And what that just means is on-the-ground activations, uh, anything that can kind of be – seen as an experience for people out there in the world, but we also do content. So we just did a yeah, TV show called GM School. We do short-form content. Uh, it's a whole mix, stunts, you name it, we'll do it. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And uh, Matt, talk to me. What's your experience at Worldwide Momentum Worldwide? How long have you been there? Oh, yeah. So I've been at Momentum um, almost five years now. Um, it's been a really great experience, uh, just kind of... Um, 
we have the opportunity from the agency perspective to work across a lot of different clients. So, you know, whether it's uh, entertainment, sports, food, um, you know, uh, B2B, B2C, all that kind of stuff, we get to really work on a wide variety of things. So um, I have had the opportunity to work across a lot of great social campaigns, um, uh, digital initiatives, building brands from the ground up, so setting up their, you know, their personas and their platforms on social and digital and all that um, kind of thing. So really, it's a it's a wide variety of work, and and it's always different every day. So very exciting. It absolutely is very exciting. And by the way, you two have two of the most creative photos. I asked my guests for headshots to post on our guest directory, and the two of you have really, really, really cool headshots. Very, very different than most of the corporates. I love all my corporate guests, of course, but very, very different. Taryn Chata sent me a quote from Steven Spielberg, still with us, very hopeful, very thankfully, born in 1946. He's having a birthday on December 18th. Steven Allen Spielberg, American filmmaker, considered one of the founding pioneers of the new Hollywood era, one of the most popular directors and producers in film history. He became a household name. Do the two of you know which movie put him on the map in 1975? Do you remember? Jaws? That's it. That's it. Jaws. It was Jaws. Absolutely. He won uh, the Academy Award for Best Director twice. His movies are among the highest grossing of all time, and his total work makes him the highest grossing film director in history. He's worth a mere $3 billion. I don't know when this was posted. Anyway, here's the quote from the great quotable content, and that's our topic today, of Steven Spielberg that Taryn has selected. The work that I'm proudest of is the work that I'm the most afraid of. Taryn, tell me what this quote means to you and how does it relate to our topic about technology and content for sports fans. Go ahead. I think it's all about how, you know, when you sit around a room with a bunch of people and they hear an idea, uh, or even you yourself, you hear an idea, you think about it, and, and when you're scared of it, I think that's when you know it's good because when you're comfortable with it, it just means that that idea already exists and that people have seen so much of it that it, there's there's nothing there new that that is making you feel uncomfortable or being frightened and so it's I think I get worried when everyone in a room is like oh we're all comfortable with this we really like it it's mm-hmm. I'm I, I like it more when someone's like you know what I, I'm a bit concerned about this or this idea kind of scares me that I'm like oh that's great there's an emotion here where there's something real here that people are actually going to get excited about and I think I think that's what Spielberg is speaking to. I love it. I love it. it it's a very, uh, it's a deep statement, isn't it, Taryn? The work that I'm most afraid of, whether he's afraid of doing it, afraid of what's going to happen when he does it, afraid of what it's go- was going to happen while he's doing it. Uh, it's very, very deep. Wouldn't expect this. Thank you very much, Matt Bellinger, quoting RuPaul. Ru- RuPaul Andre Charles, born in 1960, still very much with us. American drag queen, actor, model, singer, songwriter, and TV personality. He has produced and hosted the reality competition series RuPaul's Drag Race since 2009 and received four primetime Emmy Awards, considered the most commercially successful drag queen in the United States, and he premiered his new daytime talk show in June of this year. Here's the quote. The biggest obstacle I ever faced was my own limited perception of myself. Ooh, Matt, how does that relate to our topic, and what does this quote mean to you? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think it actually goes really kind of hand in hand with Taryn's quote. And I yes. promise you guys, we did not plan it. Um, I know, beforehand. I know, I know. You um, said them separately. So Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like this 
so I guess this has a lot of meanings, um, and it's it's really kind of uh, profound, I guess, in a sense, when you read between the lines of what it's saying, because it's really, it's basically stating that, you know, a lot of the obstacles that we feel that we face in our lives, that we have a lot of anxiety about, we actually put there in front of ourselves. Um, so once you kind of realize that, um, you can really feel the power that you really hold as an individual. Um, and I think, you know, that obviously helps from a personal perspective, whether it's in your life or your um, professional career. But you can really relate it to brands um, and marketers and, and, and the content that we create uh, for fans and for different audiences. And, and it, you know, we really shouldn't be afraid to take risks, to go out on a limb, um, do things from an unconventional mindset, obviously, you know, brand guidelines and all that stuff uh, taken into account. Um, but, you know, from my perspective, you know, as long as we're informed on, you know, the breadth of what we're doing, um, especially if we're trying to entertain fans really from that brand perspective, just be fearless with it. Um, when we're planning, thinking our next big campaign or initiative, it's it's kind of a really powerful thing to get out of your own way sometimes and just and just take a risk. Thank you very much. Great quotes from both of you. And just because Ryan Summers is dear to us, as he's the sponsor of this series, I'm going to read the quote. I don't know exactly what he was going to say about it, but I think you'll both get a kick out of it. It was erroneously and popularly attributed to Ernest Hemingway, but my friends at Quote Investigator say that it's from a 1964 novel, Reuben Reuben, by the humorist Peter DeVries, or Peter DeVries. And here is the quote, right drunk, edit sober. Anybody want to take a shot at what that means <clears throat> in terms of our topic on, on technology and sports content marketing? Taryn or Matt, or should we leave it on the table? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know if Ryan had a different intention for it, but um, I had actually heard, and I don't know if this is true, but a friend had told me that in Roman days that when they would write, they would actually write either drunk and edit sober, or they would write sober and edit drunk in order to create two different perspectives on the work so that they could allow themselves to be free when they wrote. And then when they edited, they could then, you know, start to um, cut away at what was unnecessary, what didn't quite fit. And so I, I love that idea of, that you can almost have two, two senses of yourself working on the same project, um, but with two different mindsets. I like that. The other, other panelists, was that uh, Matt or was that Taryn? That was uh, Taryn. Okay, Matt, you want to take a shot at it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just obviously going off, um, you know, trying to assume what Ryan meant from that quote, but I think a lot of the work, I think this kind of even goes well, we all kind of have that kind of same inspirational quote, but like, you know, obviously, you know, write without caring about anyone and let your kind of guard down and all of that, uh, you know, philosophical stuff and then, and then edit it afterwards. So obviously there's things that, you know, you really want to do, but you might be afraid of or you might be questioning or not thinking, you know, through in, in, in the most of detail. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really powerful quote and, and definitely something to, to live by. Excellent. Excellent. I, I love all the quotes you picked. Um, this is the part of the show where we get to know both of you a little bit better. I think we already have, in a way, covered this because I was so excited to welcome you a few minutes ago. But I know you're in New York, but now we're going to find out what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world. We found out that one of you loves everything bagels, which I love also. You can't really get good bagels in Durham, North Carolina, Matt. So what can I tell you? Maybe you'll send me a everything bagel from 
Bagel Boss or somewhere like that. But Taryn, let's start with you. What's the favorite drink? It can be anything. I know it's only 1221 p.m. here on the East Coast of the U.S., but you know it's beer o'clock somewhere in the world. Do you have a favorite wine or beer or cocktail or, or smoothie or something that really gets you going, either relaxes you, energizes you, or just makes you happy? Taryn Chata, what do you love to drink? Well, I'd, I'd like to say um, a Boulevardier is sort of my, my cocktail of choice. But, what is it? What is it? Uh, Boulevardier? So a Boulevardier, it's, it's a Negroni with, um, and I believe the difference is, is it's like a Negroni, but there's whiskey instead of gin. Um, hopefully I haven't got those reversed. But yeah, it's quite similar. All right. I've got the recipe here. You, you know, I, uh, Taryn and Matt, you know, I know all the stuff in my brain. I don't have to look it up. <laughs> I just, I just, it's just in my, it's there. Okay. The Bouvardier, B-O-U, Boulevardier, B-O-U-L-E-V-A-R-D-I-E-R cocktail is an alcoholic drink composed of whiskey, sweet vermouth, and Campari. Is that the right one, Taryn? Correct. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's a creation is ascribed to Erskine Gwynn, American-born writer who founded a monthly magazine in Paris called Boulevardier, which appeared from 1927 to 1932. Ingredients are one ounce Campari, one ounce or one part to one and a half parts rye whiskey or bourbon, and one part of sweet red vermouth. Stir with ice, strain, garnish, and serve on the rocks or pour it over ice. Garnish with an orange peel or a cherry and serve in an old-fashioned glass. Taryn, the show I did an hour ago... Uh, which was uh, game-changing digital digital selling technology. Uh, that show had a guest who actually enjoyed the old-fashioned cocktail. So we talked about, and it's a very similar garnish and a similar glass, obviously. Thank you. Very interesting. Do you have another drink you like that's not a cocktail hour? Uh, so I'm weirdly known uh, at my local cafe as chamomile guy because I drink so much chamomile <laughs> even during the summer. So that's sort of my other staple. Okay, well, that's a good one to have. Uh, Matt Bellinger, what, what drink do you love in your glass or your cup or your mug or whatever, any time of the day? What's your favorite? Okay, so I've got two for you. So on an everyday, uh, I love a nice light beer, nothing too, nothing too intense, just a little basic. However, uh, I recently just uh, went on vacation um, to the Canary Islands, which are kind of a island owned by, by Spain, but it's off the coast of Africa. Really amazing mm-hmm. place if anyone wants to go visit. Um, and they have this uh, volcanic wine kind of series there um, that's so good. It's all like these minerals and all that kind of good stuff. So you feel really healthy while you're drinking, and it's a nice, uh, interesting thing that I, I had no clue even existed uh, until I recently went there. So. Volcanic um, that, Wine, that I'm looking up Volcanic Wine 101 from Mount Etna to Santorini, uh, from Mount Etna on Sicily to the Spanish island of Lanzarote. Grapes grown in volcanic mm-hmm. soil are producing some of the world's most interesting wines, and the volcanic earth represents a mere 1% of the total surface of the planet. The grapes grown in this area are, and I'm looking at it, and I can't read the rest of it because it's a big, long paragraph. Here, are vast and varied, and here's a quote from Master Sommelier John Zabo. He says, what surprised me most was the number of indigenous grapes, true regional specialties that have been preserved in volcanic terroirs. That's territories. He recently published the book Volcanic Wine, Salt, Grit, and Power. Interesting. What do you think? I think that uh, sounds very commanding, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, delicious. I just you have to try them. You have. To I will. <laughs> I just I just knew all this. I absolutely knew all this. And we don't know what Ryan's favorite <laughs> drink is, but Ryan Summers, we're doing a shout out to you, gentlemen. I am in Durham, North Carolina. It is raining. I think it's really cats and dogs today because the wind is whipping the house, and I have one of those decorative spinners in my front garden, which I can see from my my home broadcast studio here. And I have to tell you, it's spinning like crazy. You can't even see the colors on the beads around the spinner. It's been uh, as my late mother-in-law used to say, it's been pluing. That's the French word for rain for hours now, and I like to think we really, really need it. So, uh, yes, and we're going down to 26 degrees tonight. It is early, early winter here in the south. Not happy about that. I gave up winters when I left New York two years ago, and here I am. I actually had to shovel snow last winter here. Of course, I shoveled it within 24 hours, guys. You know, in New York, there were rules about clearing the sidewalk. I didn't know that it would be melted within 36 hours, but I had a good time shoveling. It was great exercise. <laughs> so we're here. Our, our special show today is content craze sports fans benefit from tech, whether they know it or not. Before we go to break, and we're just about on the cusp of our one and only break during the show, Taryn and Matt, I'll start with Taryn. Uh, are fans, con- in fact, content craze today, sports fans? Are they craving, whether it's on their on their phones? And we'll talk about second screen. Well, we can talk about the definition of second screen now before we go to break. But, Taryn, are the fans craving what? Statistics? Are they craving play-by-play? Are they playing play-back, you know, what just happened a few minutes ago in any sport? What is this content that they're craving and they're crazed about, Taryn? I think it's a whole mix. So I think when you say stats, I think there is that expertise that they'd love to have. They love to know sort of more about the game than anybody else. But I think they also want to see, you know, they want to get closer to their players in new ways. They want to see, you know, whether it's basketball, football, or whatever the, the sport is, they, they actually want to see behind the scenes. Or they want to see, you know, you think of movies like Moneyball, where you actually see mm-hmm. those stories brought into narratives. I think they're, they're looking for all of that. Okay. Matt, what do you think? What are fans looking for? Definitely anything and everything. I think when you're really passionate about something uh, in sports, entertainment, whatever it is, you just want to consume as much possible um, that you can find about it. So whether it's the kind of in-the-moment stats like, you know, we were talking about, like something that kind of extends what you're already watching or it's, you know, an after-show interview or even kind of like a a, a piece that um, – continues on the conversation. So it, it brings, you know, characters to light um, or your favorite players or things in, in kind of a different way. And you get to see a different side of them or facts that you didn't know. Um, we kind of live in an age where there's just never enough content. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's a wet, vast variety of um, topics that people are searching for that we find. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Gentlemen, I just made an executive decision because I'm the producer and host of the show. We're not taking a break. Your energy is so good. I don't, I, can, you, can you deal with that? Matt and Taryn, yeah, you just keep going? Definitely. Okay. We're going to do it. Yeah, we yeah, can do it. I just, yeah. <laughs> just want to keep this going. So here's the part of the show where my panelists have sent me independently. They didn't pick their quotes at the same time, although they va- they verify we didn't take them behind the scenes and make them sign a statement. But that they, they even though the quotes had similar meaning, simpl- similar intent and implication. Uh, so they each sent me five or more statements here. I think I have six from Taryn and five from Matt. Yes, with a lot of details about what's on their minds on this topic 
music. And again, if you're just tuning in, and we hope you are, this is Game Changing Technology and Sports Radio. And very appropriately, we're talking about content-crazed sports fans. If you're one of them, we know who you are. Benefit from technology, whether they know it or not. So it's kind of a twisted topic because you may not realize that tech is helping to give you the content you're looking for. We're speaking today with Taryn Chada. His last name is C-H-A-D-H-A at Momentum Worldwide. And Matt Bellinger, B-E-L-A-N-G-E-R, also at Momentum Worldwide. And a shout out to series sponsor, Ryan Summers, who was unable to join us today. So this is part where they each sent me the content. And I'm going to, I'm just going to read one statement at a time and have, first I'll read one from Taryn. Taryn, I'll read a piece of it and then have you explain what it means. And then I'll ask Matt if he agrees or disagrees. Then I'll pick one statement from Matt's list, read a little bit. He'll explain it and then we'll bounce it over to Taryn. So this is our true roundtable. Taryn told me the following and I'll read just a little piece because you did such a good job sending so much. We're in an era where anyone can find any kind of content they want. They don't have to sit in front of the same old TV channels and they don't even have to watch commercials anymore. So you have to make something they want to see. So let's talk about the good kind of content. Taryn and related to sports, please. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think what I'm trying to say here is that you, you're you not forced into into any sort of situation where you want to watch something you don't really want to watch anymore. So with so many options, everyone has to kind of be aware of that, especially uh, on the brand side um, or even, you know, in the studio side. So, you know, I can go to Netflix, I can go to Amazon Prime, which now even is starting to um, broadcast sports uh, on, on their platform. So there's so many choices that I can subscribe to, I think you really need to find a way to draw eyes um, that's different, especially for a brand. You can't just be interrupting people anymore. You have to be part of that entertainment, and that's the huge shift now that, that not everyone is caught up to. Interesting. And, and in terms of sports, do people have a lot of channels they can watch sports on, whether it's Internet or any screen? and Or is it just ma- people still mainly watching either in the stadium or on the shores or at the court? Or are they watching on TV? What's your thought about that? Matt, get ready to jump in here. Taryn? We're- I think there's the mix. There's still the traditional watching on TVs and bars and stuff. Um, but I think when you're thinking, talking about content that's outside of just the actual game, that's mm-hmm. sort of everywhere. When you think of TV shows that are about sports or you think of miniseries, any of that stuff, or even reality shows when you think of um, hard knocks, you know, it's like it's all that extra content where you can go anywhere for it. Okay, Matt, jump in. Agree or disagree with what Tyron said? Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, I think building off of that, I mean, I mean, even from a brand perspective and, and thinking about sports specifically, it's such like a fast-paced, um, you know, uh, series of events that are constantly happening. So whether people are at home or they're, which actually majority of people are generally at home watching the games, believe it or not, um, you know, having the ability, at least from our perspective, to entertain them and, you know, provide as much interaction as we possibly can to give them what they're looking for, whether it's closer um, attention to the, the information that they seek that we can find, you know, via, you know, like social listening tools or research or things like that, or um, just kind of sitting around and thinking about, you know, what, what, are the, what could something that we could do that would be different to kind of bring up in a cool Instagram story series or a long-form piece of content that, you know, pits different people who think they know, you know, about a certain team or player, you know, they think they know all the details, but we, 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 you know, kind of pit them against each other and, and have them, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, show what they've got. Um, 
there's really definitely uh, a wide variety of different things out there. Thank you very much. I want Matt first to identify or explain for me what is second screen. We're talking about first screen, I assume, is TV. I don't know where movie screens, what we used to call a movie screen, going to a movie theater. Uh, And what is the second screen? Is that a mobile device? What is that? Matt? I think it could be anything. I mean, technically it's a mobile device, right? But it could be anything. So if you're, you know, sitting and watching a game and you're watching, uh, you know, the, the game live, if you're on your phone, like that's considered a second screen. If you're home and you're watching, you know, a, a sports game or a sports interview and you're on your phone and you're chatting with friends and talking about like, oh, I can't believe they said that or, oh, they're completely wrong about that or, um, oh, can you believe what he said? Any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's really just a behavior of, I mean, if you think about, especially like our generation and, and younger generations, like they, they kind of switch between their phone, their laptop, the TV, uh, you know, screens, their tablets at school um, or work or things like that. So it really could be anything that you're doing two, uh, a couple times at once. I think I'm trying to think of the show. I think Portlandia has a really funny segment um, where the, the lead character is like just like fumbling between like a ton of different screens and like can't figure out, you know, what's going on, answering email on one, watching TV on another. Um, so really, it's, it's from our perspective, it's about capitalizing on the fact that, you know, we have a topic that someone's really interested in, but we can actually reach them somewhere else, um, especially mm-hmm. considering, you know, obviously TV advertising is so expensive these days. Um, but we have the power of social to really connect people with. Thank you very much. Now, Matt, I know you've just been talking a lot, but I'm still going to go to you because I'm looking at your list of statements you sent me. So let's talk about long form. You say brands and marketers are digging deeper into long form content. And this was part of my opening quote from uh, Josh Steimley at uh, Forbes, the Forbes uh, article I read. So what is it? The medium has become a new way for brands to earn affinity and ultimately loyalty by providing consumers with entertaining, culturally relevant content. So Describe what is long form. Is it an ad that's more than twenty seconds long? Is it a uh, a full TV show? Is it a um, let's say a podcast that's more than five minutes long? How do we define long term long form content, Matt, in the sports world, please? Yeah, sure. I think we can start with understanding like snackable content that we kind of hear as a buzzword that goes around. Mm-hmm. So that's like those little clips that you see that kind of uh, you know engage people quickly as they're scrolling through their feed. But I think you know. Over the years, a lot of brands have gotten into the space where they're now like, oh, we could actually tell a much longer and more compelling story with, with this topic or this, um, this sport or this team uh, or player. Uh, and we can, we can connect it to other different topics that are happening uh, in the world right now. So if you look at that, uh, there was a Patagonia example that they recently did. They were talking all about snowboarding and, and showing you know, really great moves from the players and, and all that kind of stuff. And their product kind of becomes a secondary almost to it. And they're really just the, the kind of um, a bearer of some really exciting content that um, you know people are really craving at this time. Thank you, Taryn. Please join us. Thoughts about long-form content in the sports world and brands? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's definitely shifted. You know, I think back in the day when uh, Terry Tate, office linebacker, if people remember that, came out. It was these sort of short, snackable pieces that were really fun and they strung together and then it's gotten longer and longer and then you watch the the Jason Sudeikis soccer coach thing which was incredible which was I think you know somewhere upwards of six to ten minutes um, and then you know into the longer form full you know 20 minute 22 minute TV shows to one hour episodes which is something that we did recently um, I think it's what Matt's saying it's a mix of them so you have your snackable pieces now but you also have you you can have your long pieces and they all kind of 
uh, interact with each other a little bit. And so you give people sort of the, the full experience of all of it. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I'm looking now. I'm going to bounce over to something in Taryn's notes. Okay, here we go. This is a good one. Taryn says, audiences are changing. Their tastes are changing. I'm going to say our because we're all those audiences, right? Audiences are changing. Our tastes are changing. We know the tropes. We've seen the cliches, and now we're looking for more. We want things to be fresh, and when they aren't fresh, we want them to be meta, to at least be self-aware of what the creators are doing. Can you, I'm going to use a sport, a, a news term here, Taryn Chata. Can you unpack this for me, please? Fascinating. We have seen the cliches. What's going to keep us attentive and keep us paying attention and watching or listening or buying, getting away from all of these cliches? How do they do it? Um, so there's a lot of different ways. I think the first way is I think it's just the brands themselves being aware. So I think that's where that meta part comes in. And you even see this in entertainment right now. Like a lot of great movies that are coming out, you get that sense of awareness, but also um, intertextuality where it's the, the movie itself is aware that other movies and other uh, commercials or whatever exist in the real world. Um, a great example of this is like the most obvious example of this is Deadpool, that film, but 21 Jump Street, all those did that. Um, in terms of intertextuality, you see this in shows all the time where they reference other shows or other things existing. Um, and then you kind of have to go past that to where it's just completely new. So once you've built in that self-awareness, you can then take the next step to be like, okay, well, this is what a, you know, a sports commercial looks like. How do we then take the next step? And I think that next step is kind of looking at, okay, what is the tension or what are the human truths in this category or this experience that people are ignoring? Let's talk about that. Interesting. Matt Bellinger, join us. What are your thoughts about getting away from the stuff we all know and we're tired of? How do, we, how do they do that in sports marketing? What's the trick? What's the key? Definitely. I think... I think first it's kind of like you really need to under, you kind of need to know the lay of the land first, right? So kind of understand what the kind of uh, path has been done and kind of what the general maybe rule book is, and then so you can kind of break it in the right ways. Um, I definitely think that you know understanding different emotional behaviors or passions from different people um, of you know all walks of life is really some great ways to play into um, and like kind of as we said at the top of, of the hour you know like taking those risks too like if you see that there's a certain campaign that you want to focus on um, that, that that focuses on a topic that might be a little tense or something um, or maybe it's a, a negative emotion that you then make more positive um, again always just like taking risks and, 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 and thinking about you know how can we understand Understand what's going on, but maybe take a little pivot to the to a different side and and make it more interesting for people. Is there a big risk in doing that, Matt? Is there a, a line you cannot cross in sports marketing? Is it getting too political or too anything on the topics that we're not supposed to talk about with people? Uh, you know, too too sexy or or religious or uh, ethnic. Where is that line? Do teams cross that sometimes? I don't, I mean, not necessarily. I think, like, for the most part, it just can, you know, sports is such an exciting topic that is mm -hmm. kind of, it's exciting on its own. So I don't know if you necessarily need um, anything, you know, other than maybe there's just different different players you want to highlight from, from different places and things like that. Um, but, yeah. Okay. But it, it can be it, intentional, too. Oh, sure, sorry, go ahead, Sarah. I jump in? <laughs> no, I'd love I for you to. I'd love it. Go ahead, please. So I think when you look at uh, what Nike's doing, even bringing Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, you know, into their mm -hmm. commercials, like 
they knew that was going to be divisive. They knew that a sure. large group of people were not going to be were going to be offended by that. Well, but they knew that the the core audience that they were trying to appeal to, the people they actually want to sell shoes to, were going to love that, and were going to actually be motivated by that and love the brand even more. So they they sort of planted a flag in the ground and said what they stood for. The only issue is when your values the the, the danger in it is when you when you create your values. But then it gets a little tricky when you don't completely um, fulfill them. So I think if I don't know if you've seen, but um, a Times article, our, our video just came out um, about Nike and about how they um, treated uh, one of their runners, a uh, female runner, really poorly. Um, and so you know mm-hmm. they've they've done all this great work where they they were sort of you know pushing um, female sports forward. They were pushing um, this sort of the the idea of what Kaepernick was doing for it and believing in your values, and then it's tricky with something like this, um, and, and unfortunate when when you so, sort of learn like, oh, there's a piece of their culture that wasn't quite doing what they said they were doing, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Interesting. There are probably some minefields out there, Matt. I'm looking at your notes here. I'm looking at number three statement you sent me. This is interesting. You say data-driven strategies help us understand what our fans like. But most important point is to first understand your audience so you're providing interactions as a brand that benefits their interests and their desires. So how are brands, especially in the sports world, teams will say rather than brands, how are sports teams or clothing or equipment, wherever you want to take it, how are they actually understanding the changing audience, the demographics? Is it older? Is it younger? Is it skewing to one gender or another? Is it certain parts of the world, certain parts of the country? Is it the time of day? Is it the types of sports? Is it water sports or court sports or land sports or fast sports or, I don't know, team sports or one-on-one sports? So how do they understand the audience? Talk to us about these data-driven strategies, Matt. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's kind of a really exciting uh, topic from from that perspective, at least from like a strategist point of view. Um, there's so many tools out there nowadays, um, apart from just the platforms themselves, that you can you know pull information on your audience, your demographics, and all of that. I think um, one of the sports teams that comes to to mind that you know um, we've worked with closely, uh, Manchester City and, and City Football Group. They they really understand their audience. They know um, you know what they're going to like. They have such great organic organic reach, which doesn't even really um, exist these days, um, apart from in, in this, in kind of like the sports and entertainment piece um, or sector, I guess. But I think what I'm really trying to say here is that there's just a lot of um, ways to see, you know, you can use um, tools that scan, you know, the whole, all, all of kind of the conversation and social, and you can see, you know, what are people talking about most that has like a positive reaction? What's the negative reaction? How could, how could the team or the, the piece of content or whatever we're, you know, kind of talking about help in that sense and and kind of what else i had you know in this in this part is that really the the kind of biggest part is to really test and learn and see what's work what works best for that audience so something that might resonate well with a younger audience might not with a older mm-hmm. audience so it's it really important to be diverse from that perspective thank you very much great point there taryn chata join us thoughts about what matcha shared the test and learn how does that work do you agree um i think it's um I'm trying to think about how to unpack it. Is Max such an expert on these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of testing and learning and then adapting from from what you put out there and then figuring out how to go back to it, um, if that makes sense. 
Okay. Now, I want to look at a couple of statements here. We have, oh, we've got about eight minutes until we go into our predictions crystal ball rounds. We've got plenty of time here. Taryn, you say we're heading into a space where pretty soon, I think it's on the verge right now, people might have complete control of the content that's pushed on them or adversely algorithms will know you so well they'll only show you what they know you love are we there yet and what's that going to do for sports fans it's going to be pretty interesting i mean i think we all know that the you know netflix is a great example where the algorithm serves you up stuff and you're like is this really what i want to see and you're not sure it's not quite there it's it's getting better slowly um but it will get to that point um and it'll start to determine what's actually being made you know, I think from those algorithms, we'll start to get a better sense. But it's it's going to be the trick of, you know, sometimes the algorithm won't always know what's what's right for someone. And, you know, an example, I think even uh, Malcolm Gladwell had an example of this, but he, he talked about this with spaghetti sauces where, um, and I don't know if you've heard this, but where the spaghetti sauce, there never used to be chunky spaghetti sauce because no one believed in it and the data didn't show that it was going to be popular. And then someone invented it and it became the most popular thing ever. So you never quite know what's going to take off unless you kind of, try it too so it's, it's going to be the mix i'm actually looking at on spaghetti sauce malcolm gladwell on his tedx talk very very interesting i have the link to it um he gets inside the food industry's pursuit of the perfect spaghetti sauce and makes a larger argument about the nature of choice and happiness Ooh, thank you for that very interesting there of course i knew that you know, I just knew that in my head that he'd given a TEDx talk on that. Absolutely. Matt, what are your thoughts on this, uh, the algorithm concept and, and how well how well are sports already doing that? Do they know how much we want to see, when we want to see it? Are we getting the right messages, whether we subscribe or not? Is it all opt-in? That's a lot of questions. Matt, anything you want to do on that one? Talk to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the one really interesting thing that I noticed, obviously I work across a lot of different topics, but in sports, they, it's it's almost one of those things where if you think about, I mean, branded content aside, just that kind of content that comes from the teams and the, and the players and stuff, it just does so well without any kind of amplification. And I think it's because people really love not only just the sport, but they love that they can connect to the players more. They love that they can see more of their daily lives. They love that they can get more information that they, they, they're seeking. Um, so, I almost feel like they're not necessarily outside of the algorithm, but like they're they're there. Um, I do have a, and I don't want to take up too much time on this, but I, I do Go have ahead. this interesting theory that, at least from a researcher point of view, it's funny because the algorithm that, you know, when you see the ad where you like kind of just talked about, you know, plastic bags and then suddenly you get the plastic bag ad served up to you. It's great from a research perspective because if you like suddenly need to do a lot of research on a sports team, suddenly you're going to get all the ads from all the other competitors on there to see what other people are doing. So I kind of love it and I hate it from a personal and work perspective. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And you know something, there was a time, just in general, a time when I would look at certain dress companies, a certain type of a dress. I would just look at it online, you know, how many colors they had, the sizes they had. And then all of a sudden, every single time I went on the web, no matter where I was, their ads popped up mercilessly every single damn time. No matter what kind of a website I went to, that company, that dress showed up. It's like they were following me around and yep. waiting for me to buy thank god it stopped but it was 
annoying. Let's leave it at that. Matt, I'm looking at, I think we have time for one more quick topic here, and this is important. I wanted to bring this up at the beginning of the show, but I waited. The concept of sports is very often, I'm going to use a word advisedly, tribal, right? We have our football. Oh, you're part of the football. Oh, yeah, we love baseball. Yeah, who's your favorite team? Oh, yeah, I'm a tennis fan. Yeah, what do you think about what Serena just said, what Venus just said, and who the newcomers are? There's a sense of connection, the sense of community, the sense of shared excitement. It has nothing to do with where you work or how much money you have or what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive. It's just we love this sport. So we find it worthy of conversation no matter where we go. So I'm looking at Matt's final statement here. He says, fandom in sports is all about connection and conversation between fans. The energy of the game ends, but the discussion between friends and in the digital space just starts to heat up. So talk to me about how the digital space is helping this, what I'll call this tribal effect of sports. Matt? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I And I love kind of this thought as well because, you know, making having the opportunity to help you know provide you know whether it's content or or whatever um to to people and and have them enjoy it is really you know obviously exciting to you know um both Taryn and I um I think we have the lucky opportunity and 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 you know anyone who's you know creating content on social has the lucky opportunity to be able to kind of take what happened in a game or um a, a particular uh event and bring it out into um, you know what what happens the next day. What could we serve up? Are there interesting insights from from the day after? Is there some kind of piece of content that we can create that um, you know capitalizes on the fact that there's this heat moment that everybody's excited in? But we can take kind of a different angle and dive deeper into um, you know something that you know happened in that moment and, and kind of driving it back to the data driven piece. You know we are able to identify those those moments that got the most excitement or questions or things like that. So it's it's really an exciting time from 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 that perspective and and just being able to connect fans and give them something to discuss um, amongst themselves afterward. It just kind of keeps going from there. Absolutely. Taryn, let's get your thoughts on this, this tribal, this connection, this community sense. How how strong is this getting now with what we call this sports fan crazing, craving content and long-form content? Is it going to increase the, the tribal impact in a good way? I think so. I mean, I think it's actually it's even uh, impacted the stuff that we've been making. Like we did a show called GM School uh, because we kind of like we realized that fans, they're so into these sports that they actually felt like they could be the general managers of all these teams that they love. And, you know, we all know and we part of what we wanted to prove is like that's that's really hard. Um, and it's hard for them to see that because they can they see the choices being made and, and they they feel that close to it and they feel that passionate about it. So I think it's it's, we see it growing, and we see that people wanted more and more come out and and feel like they are they actually have the ability to even you know lead or control the team that that they kind of almost know best. That was one of your campaigns. I think I remember that. I think somebody talked about that on a, on a different show. Wow, you two work for a very interesting company. You get to do such cool stuff. And speaking of cool stuff, we're now in the crystal ball predictions round. I usually give my guests 60 seconds each, but we've got plenty of time, and there were just two of you. So, Tara Chata at Momentum Worldwide, why don't you look into the crystal ball from the vantage point of either your own creative background, your own energy in the world, in terms of creating media people obviously love, or from your role at Momentum Worldwide or a combination of both, a mashup of both, what is what will change between right now and 2025 in the world of 
in the world of, let's say, sports content, long-form content, storytelling, second screen availability, uh, algorithms that reach fans with things they didn't even know they needed or wanted to know? What's your thought? Predictions? I'll give you uh, two full minutes. Taryn Chata, go. I think we're actually going to go back in time, to be honest, and we're going to go back to the 1950s model a bit. Um, where you know you'd watch a show and then it would say brought to you by Colgate at the end of it versus it being a full commercial and I think we're going to start getting entertainment that's sort of brought to you by brands more and more and that the content will be based around the brand but it'll be more about entertainment versus selling you a, a direct product. Hmm, interesting. Uh, do you think we're going to be happy with the the types of ads we're seeing? Do you think we're going to like them more? Do you think the algorithms will get it right? Taryn, will they be better? I, th- I think so. I think because I think affinity is now become an affinity for the brand and that you actually love the brand just for, for what it is versus what it, it just makes is becoming more and more important. And so I think that's going to be the top priority going forward. Okay. Thank you very much. Very interesting. You were, you were very quick, so I have two full minutes for your colleague, Matt Bellinger. Matt, what do you predict? Sure. So, um, yeah, just flipping through the tarot cards here. <laughs> um, uh, I feel like there's going to be kind of two things. I think, you know, to Taryn's point, there's going to be that kind of, um, hey, I'm so sick of being, you know, uh, force-fed all these ads, and, and, and people are going to start to pick up on that, and they're going to kind of go back to the kind of the, the place where you're kind of, it's, it's a little bit more authentic, and the brand kind of takes a, a backseat versus trying to, like, integrate themselves into the whole experience, um, which that's, that's totally exciting, and I think we're all kind of waiting for a bit of a shift from that perspective. Um, but I think what's most exciting to me, at least from kind of like the digital social perspective, is really thinking about, um, and, and I know like some of us hate this, some of us love this, but the way things feel very personalized for us, I don't know mm-hmm. if that necessarily is a bad thing, because mm-hmm. um, if... I mean, I would rather see ads and, and, and content and things from from things that I'm interested in. So I kind of look at it as a benefit. Um, you know, the music that I'm interested in, um, I'll see, I'll get served up similar artists that I'm interested in um, or, you know, from sports. If I'm interested in certain teams, I'll, I'll get served up that. So that's that's exciting from, from kind of the organic, like the content that comes from just the real properties versus the brands. Mm-hmm. I think what's exciting about the brands is that we, you know, as, as more platforms uh, start to develop more capabilities like like the, the AR, that um, Instagram stories with those cool filters and things like that, or just stories or, um, you know, like Facebook watch platform or all that kind of stuff. It gets more exciting for us to plan because we get to be more diverse in the content that we put across. So we don't necessarily need to produce one piece of content. We can produce that. We can kind of make a special version for stories. That's a cool quiz. And we get to, you know, engage mm-hmm. those people in a very specific way that way um, and vice versa. So I think it's, for me, it's a, it's a really exciting time. It certainly is. And I have a question for each of you. We have just a little bit of extra time. Taryn Chata, do you have a favorite sports team you want to predict is going to win something in either the rest of this year or in 2020? Anything you want to do a shout out for? I'm willing. What do you think? Um, oh, God, that's a tricky one. I mean, I'm from Vancouver originally, so I'm always going to be a Canucks fan at heart. Okay. Yay, Canucks. And Matt Bellinger, <laughs> do you have a favorite team you want to do a shout out to? <laughs> I probably have to go with that. So I've lived in New York for 16 years by now, so I'm going to go with the Yankees just because I uh, I feel like a New Yorker now. So <laughs> You certainly are. I was there the last 32 years until I moved here two years ago, and 
I don't know if I really had a sports team. The sport was basically managing to get somewhere reasonably on time while driving in the world's longest parking lot on the Long Island Expressway. That was pretty much a sport. The other sport was wondering if the Long Island Railroad would be on time getting you to Penn Station. And I'm just going to leave that on the table there. A shout out to Ryan Summers at SAP. Ryan, I hope your family's health has improved. We hope everything is okay. We missed you. And thank you so much for sponsoring the series. Looking forward to your coming back next year in 2020 for another year of game-changing technology and sports. This is a cool topic, isn't it, Matt? Isn't it? Taryn, yes? Definitely. Yes, definitely. Thank very, you so much. Thank yeah, you. I, want you to, I want you to talk to Ryan and make sure he renews because we got to get him a time slot for next year. It'll be perfect. And a shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and it's time to say goodbye. I'll be back tomorrow morning with Technology Revolution, the future of now, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the business channel with four five panelists in the music business or looking at the music business. We'll talk about game. We're talking about game-changing technology and the music industry. Are we going to predict sweet notes or sour notes in the music of the future. Ooh, can't wait for that one. So fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Taryn Chata and just like Matt Bellinger at Momentum Worldwide and just like Ryan Summers at SAP. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Technology and Sports, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. Subscribe to Game Changing Technology and Sports on iTunes and catch up on previous episodes. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game changing week.